Um, I am Eve Parker, filling in for Tim Jennings this week. And our lesson this week is Lesson 9 in the Quarterly. Um, we're going over Reformation, the Outgrowth of Revival. And if you would just bow your heads, we'll start with prayer. Father, I want to thank you for inviting us into your presence today. And I ask that you would fill each one of us with your spirit, that you would help us during this discussion to hear your words to us, and that we would um, move closer to you. And I thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So the title of the lesson is Reformation, the Outgrowth of Revival. What exactly is Reformation? I'm sorry? Reforming. Reforming. Okay, what is reforming? Change. Okay. Um, I looked it up in the dictionary, um, dictionary dictionary.com, actually. And uh, it's used in two ways, as a noun or as a verb. Um, It can be the improvement or amendment of what is wrong, corrupt, or unsatisfactory. The amendment of conduct or belief. To change to a better state or form. To cause to abandon wrong or evil ways of life or conduct. Are these, are there different types of reformations? Yes, what, what kinds? What kinds of reformations are there? I think there's the self determined one where you, you know, make up a five and ten year plan and you, you know, set it and you say, I'm going to do this, positive thinking and this is what I'm going to accomplish. Mm-hmm. That kind of reformation that sort of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get a move on and, you know, make something to your life, that kind of thing. Right. Your lazy ways or whatever it is that, you know, your past is dodging. Okay. Um, you saying that reminded me, I heard a story of Ben Franklin trying that one time. Um, anybody know how that turned out? It turned out pretty well for him. Did it? <laughs> yeah. Um, He's also, isn't he, the one that said, the Lord helps those who help themselves, and people attribute that to the Bible. That is true, yeah. Um, it's one of those uh, myths that are out there. Um, so is there such a thing as social reform? And can you think of any examples of social reform? Abolition of slavery. Uh-huh. All right. I'm sorry, what was that? Temperance, Temperance yes. Uh-huh. Very good. Um, what about political reform? Women's votes. Okay. Um, medical reform. <laughs> we don't poison people to try to heal them anymore. We don't give them leeches. Right, right. So they're... <laughs> there are still leeches, just a different kind. Yes. Moving on. (laughs) Um, So what typically happens in these other types of reforms? How do they come about? Yeah. Doing away with error as well as uh, coming to new understandings and new truth. Okay. Doing away with error, um, coming to new understanding. Um, did, uh, Did the medical reform happened because God said to to change. Not usually. Um, So how does it come about? I mean, how do you, how do you even notice that something needs to be changed? The bad outcomes of the way you're doing it now. Okay. All right. So for an example, um, I heard recently of a story um, back in the civil war where they decided they needed to reform um, the ways in which medical attention got to the wounded soldiers. Um, and so they started focusing on that. But the reason they focused on it was because the outcomes were horrible. Um, men were dying um, because no attention was coming to them. And so they actually formed a system, sort of what became... The, our emergency uh, response system. And that changed things. Um, it helped more men survive. 
Okay, so, but it's a it's a human response, um, and often it's a it involves a change of laws to try to change behavior, you know that kind of a thing. So, how does spiritual reformation happen? Usually, you get to the end of your rope and. You realize you've been unsuccessful in planning and executing your own life. You're unable to accomplish. You're unable to reform. <laughs> and you need help. Okay. My lesson has a sense. True spiritual renewal leads to a change in thought patterns, habits, and lifestyle. But I think it's the change in thought patterns that initiates the change in habits and lifestyle. Okay. How does that work? How do we change the thoughts? Carla. Um, when truth is revealed to the mind, when, when we have a new understanding or something dawns upon us <laughs> okay. that is truthful and, and illuminating. <laughs> okay. Um, how do we get the truth? The Holy Spirit. So it's not, it's not something that we can work up necessarily. Um, I, I take issue with that. Yeah. Um, if we don't put ourselves in the right position, the Holy Spirit really can't work on us. Okay. What's the right position? Our mind has to be open to the Holy Spirit. The mind cannot be clouded with other things that, that will not allow the Holy Spirit to come in. Okay. All right. I'm... What about Paul? Saul. He was certainly the opposite of what he should have been. Okay. Saul was opposite of what he should have been. <laughs> so we got a question in the back? Yeah, no, I just I want to agree with Mike. Um, if, you know, the, Christ says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Mm-hmm. We have to open the door. Right. We have to let him in. And we have to let him live within us. And it's that... That dying to self daily and that Christ, not me live that lives, but Christ that lives in me, that <clears throat> begins the transformation, the reformation, if you will, of our thought patterns, our behaviors, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, um, the healing of our hearts and minds. And we have to hear him knock first. Yes. <laughs> That's right. You have to allow him to come in. Yeah. All right, Carla. Think about um, Saul too. I mean, he, he was things were going pretty well for him. He was not feeling great need, but he was being troubled. And the reason he was being troubled in his mind was because he was seeing people like Stephen, and the example that Stephen displayed before him, and it was troubling his mind. Mm-hmm. And so he, God was trying. You know, the Holy Spirit was working on him to put him in that place. <laughs> okay. Um, if men are responsible for um, the other types of reformation, who is responsible for the other? Who bears that responsibility? Anyone? We do. Huh? We are ultimately, you know, responsible for the choice we make. We are responsible for our choices. Originally, but then we, we you know, accept his side, then it's our responsibility because we... We accepted what he had to say. Okay. Um, does anybody know what Philippians 1 6 says? And whoever gets it first, feel free to shout it out. I am confident of this that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Okay. Does anybody else have Philippians 2 13? Because God is always at work in you to make you willing and able to obey his own purpose. Okay. So what do these verses point out? Where is the source of the Reformation? God. God is. Um, working in us, yes, but he's still the source. Jesus now, promised that, if, that he would draw all men to him. So this desire mm-hmm. is planted in every heart. Mm-hmm. What did he say would draw all men unto him? He's lifted up. If he's lifted up, yes. It's almost like you're reading my notes. Is spiritual reformation the same thing as sanctification? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, 
So who would be responsible for sanctification? God is. There are some verses. Um, I'll go through the through them. A couple of them here. There's Acts 26, uh, 15 to 18, talking about Saul actually um, during the his, on his road to, to Damascus when the light hit him. Then I asked, "Who are you, Lord?" I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So according to this verse, how does sanctification occur? <clears throat> not a trick question it starts by hearing somebody comes and presents it to you said by the Lord Okay. you hear it and when you let him in let that idea in and let it germinate and the Lord does his work inside you excellent um, in uh, John 17 let's go to that one um, since that's right on the tail end of what you just said John 17 17 Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Okay. So we're sanctified by faith and by truth. Are those the same things? No, because people can have faith in something that's totally bogus. Okay. <laughs> Their faith in something that is not the truth and it's not helpful. Right. So what is, what would be the truth to focus on then? Jesus. Jesus yes. is the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. Verse 19 of uh, chapter 17 says, For their sakes I sanctify myself so that they may be sanctified, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. E? Yes. The good news of, uh, of that verse, it says, Dedicate them to yourself by means of the truth. Your word is truth. I sent them into the world just as you sent me into the world. And for their sake, I dedicate myself to you in order that they too may be truly dedicated to you. I kind of like the word dedicated instead of sanctification. (laughs) Okay. What would be the difference? I I just think that it it conveys the idea of just complete surrender to our God, you know, because of that trust we have in him. Okay. I like the definition of faith as believing that God is telling the truth. Okay. So that if we believe that God is telling the truth, then it's a lot easier to obey the truth because it is the truth. You know, if you really mm-hmm. believe it. Right. What would be God's clearest revelation of the truth? Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. So uh, there's another verse that says First uh, Corinthians one. 30 to 31. Um, And I'll go ahead and read it. Um, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Um, So Christ is our sanctification. Um, So if that's true, is there anything that we can do to cooperate with him? Let him in every single day. Let him in. Every part of every day. Yeah. Yeah. Be teachable. Mm-hmm. Be teachable. Place ourselves in the atmosphere of heaven as much as we can. Okay. Yes. Um, how does uh, the truth, and we've already defined that as ultimately Jesus, how does that sanctify us? How do we how do we become more acquainted with the truth? More you Pray, study, and read the Bible. Pray, study, and read. Okay. I was going to say that the more you focus on it, the more you appreciate what God did through Jesus, which was show His character of love mm-hmm. and of concern, total concern for us. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of you, you can begin to internalize it that way. Right. The love of Christ wants to make you share it with others as well. So. Yes. 
So now we've got pray, study, and 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 read. Was that what you said? And reading and and sharing now. Okay. So those would all be components, indeed. Um, is it enough for us to have somebody else study and present their findings? No. Why not? Okay. Why? Because you have to prove for yourself with God and with God that whatever that person said is true. You can't just take somebody else's word for it. Okay. You also can't have a second-hand relationship if you really think about it as a relationship with your God. Yes. Is it enough to let someone else eat your food? <laughs> or take your medicine. Or take your medicine. I've seen you take it. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't help you one little bit. Absolutely. However, it's very helpful to hear other people, you know, to be, as I said, in the atmosphere of heaven to spend time with people who are also studying. Absolutely. I mean, that's how we learn. You know, we go to college, we listen to other people's mm-hmm. knowledge. You know, we take that, we study for ourselves and internalize that. Yeah. Well, we wouldn't be here if we didn't think it was a, a useful thing. My point is, is it enough? Would it be enough for you to eat once a week? Drink water once a week. If you're ill, take medicine once a week. Um, well, and if all you did was listen to the lecture in class, but not study it, and it's just for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's the whole picture, isn't it? Always. Always the whole picture. Yes. Yes. I thought I would read this quote from Christ's Object Lessons um, that talks about this: the sanctification of the soul by the working of the Holy Spirit is the implanting of Christ's nature in humanity. Gospel religion is Christ in the life, a living, active principle. It is the grace of Christ revealed in character and wrought out in good works. The the principles of the gospel cannot be disconnected from any department of practical life. Every line of Christian experience and labor is to be a representation of the life of Christ. Does that sound like like a challenge to you? Every every aspect? Uh, And then it goes on. Love is the basis of godliness. Whatever the profession, no man has pure love to God unless he has unselfish love for his brother. But we can never come into possession of this spirit by trying to love others. What is needed is the love of Christ in the heart. When self is merged in Christ, love springs forth spontaneously. The completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within when the sunshine of heaven fills the heart and is revealed in the countenance. So this sounds a lot like what Rachel was saying. Um, Christ in us, um, changing us. So, again, coming back to, um, to studying, the purpose of studying, we've talked about, is, is the relationship um, and learning the truth. So, if it is so important, are we doing it? Are we studying um, and if not, what might be some of the things that keep us from doing so? Busy. Busy? Okay. I hear that word a lot. There's a lot of this life came in and chose the word. Mm-hmm. Or the pleasures of this life. Mm-hmm. Right. It's sort of like being in a relationship. Um, how much time do you devote to it? Is it going to succeed, you know, if you don't devote any time to it? Uh-huh. Same with marriage. Uh, you make a commitment. If you don't spend the time together and uh, do things together, you don't really have a marriage either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But sometimes I think you could say that the, the enemy of the best can be the good. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're doing bad things. It's just that you're not doing the best thing. Yes. Like the verse that was... Uh quoted over here also talks about it's not just the worries of this life, it can also be the pleasures and the good things that choke out the word and make it unfruitful. There's still a plant, but it's not fruitful. And also in Christ's Object Lessons, it says the scriptures are the great agency in the transformation of character. If studied and obeyed, the word of God works in the heart, subduing every unholy attribute. Uh, and skipping on down a little bit, the power given us works from within outwardly, leaving us to communicate to others the truth that has been communicated to us, which would come back to the sharing that was mentioned. 
so why are the scriptures the great agency in the transformation of character? And that's how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And okay. that whole concept of what we behold, we become. Mm-hmm. We know that that's true just by our experience in life. Anything we're spending a lot of time with, a person that we might spend a lot of time with, you start picking up their mannerisms and attributes and different things. You know, you start becoming more like mm-hmm. each other. And so we need to put ourselves in the position where we are spending that time with God and beholding Him and, mm-hmm. and learning to admire and love what we see in Him. And then we'll be, you know, we'll become more. Thank you. Is it possible to study and not be sanctified? How do we know it's possible? There's intellectual knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure Satan knows everything about God that we'll never know, maybe unless we've been in heaven for a million years. But that doesn't mean that he's going to be saved. Right. The Pharisees um, uh, had a great knowledge of Scripture, and they murdered God when he came and walked among them. Right. I'm sorry, say again? Saul? Yes. He had... He called himself the Pharisee of Pharisees. Great training, all these things that he should be proud of, but he didn't. What's the one thing he didn't have? Jesus. He didn't know God. Um, and uh, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. You search the scripture, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So how is it possible that they were able to search the scriptures and still miss the sanctifying truth. They weren't looking for it. They weren't looking for it? Okay. First Corinthians thirty one one thirty one or thirty, I'm sorry. First Corinthians one thirty. And by his doing you are in Christ. In other words, Christ has to do the work with you to change you and they didn't allow Christ to come in. Okay. Um are there any other any other things that kept them? You can become cemented in your way of thinking so that when you, when you do study the Bible, you are seeing only what you think is there already. Okay. Amen. In the back? Yeah, a commenter says that they, they, didn't know, they didn't know the God they worshipped. They didn't know the God they worshipped. They didn't know the true God, that they worshipped the false God concept. Okay. Yeah. Um, you got in? I would venture to say the reason why um, God chose such drastic measures with Saul is that he was so cemented in his belief system that he wasn't going to change on his own. He'd been shown, he, even Stephen, you know, maybe that caused him to think, but he really believed in what he was doing. He was headed to, to persecute more Christians. Mm-hmm. And God knew what his potential was, but he wasn't going to get there unless there was something dramatic like being knocked to the ground and blinded. <laughs> and so it kind of goes to show what God's willing to do. To get our attention. We're on the wrong track. Yeah. Lisa? Well, another example is the disciples spent three years with Jesus, and yet how well did they really know him when he died on the cross? Yeah. Um, there's a... I spent a lot of time in Christ's object lessons this week. Um, so there's a, another quote. Without the Spirit of God, a knowledge of His Word is of no avail. The theory of truth, unaccompanied by the Holy Spirit, cannot quicken the soul or sanctify the heart. One may be familiar with the commands and promises of the Bible, but unless the Spirit of God sets the truth home, the character will not be transformed. Without the enlightenment of the Spirit, men will not be able to distinguish truth from error, and they will fall under the masterful temptations of Satan. Okay. Um, the next quote is also, not surprisingly, from Christ's Object Lessons. Um, talking about the, uh, the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. The class represented by the foolish virgins are not hypocrites. They have a regard for the truth. They have advocated the truth. They are attracted to those who believe the truth, but they have not yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit's working. They have not fallen upon the rock, Christ Jesus, and permitted their old nature to be broken up. This class are also represented by the stony ground hearers. They receive the word, referring to the other parable. They receive the word with readiness, but they fail of assimilating its principles. Its influence is not abiding. 
The Spirit works upon man's heart according to his desire and consent, implanting in him a new nature. But the class represented by the foolish virgins have been content with a superficial work. They do not know God. They have not studied his character. They have not held communion with him. Therefore, they do not know how to trust, how to look and live. Their service to God degenerates into a form. Um, according to those two quotes, how can we avoid the problem that the Pharisees had, studying with no internal change? Sorry. I'm sorry, what? Where was it? Uh, Christ Object Lessons, page 411. Yeah, they're all in the notes. Um, yeah. So back to the question, how can we avoid the problem the Pharisees had in studying? We have to keep our hearts and minds open. I think we talk about that a lot in this class, about being open to new light. We can't be so satisfied with what we've been brought up with or historically heard or believed. We, we have to be open to new light. And I think that was, you know, historically part mm-hmm. of the problems with the Jewish community is that they, um, they were... Sort of, they were self-satisfied with what they had received. They, they were the chosen ones. Mm-hmm. They were all set. And I, I know that, um, you know there are some verses that talk about, you know, going, you know, searching the world over for converts. But I don't get the overwhelming feeling from the Bible that there was a lot of evangelism going on for the Jewish community. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they were selected, and they were. They were selected. And- they were good with that, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, we, I, and I think it was one of the previous lessons talked talked about, you know, the measure of faith that we're given. We have to really be fostering that, feeding that. You mm-hmm. know, like I'm a very poor plant keeper, but as far you know, we have to water that, we have to feed that, we have to continue to to foster that, and I I think that's how. Mm-hmm. We have to be open to it coming to us. Okay. Hadn't they painted a picture of God that they wanted him to be like? And, um, you know, if he wasn't going to measure up to their expectations, which Jesus didn't, then they rejected what he wasn't. Yeah, if they don't measure up to their expectations, they killed him. Yeah. Well, we're, we're not much different than they were. Nope. No. Because we... We love to be right. We love to feel like we're the chosen ones. We mm-hmm. love to feel like we have got it down by law. And, you know, what I have learned from this class more than anything else is that just being right is not enough. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to have faith in the character of God, what really what Rachel was saying earlier, that you have to believe yeah. that God is telling the truth, that He is love, mm-hmm. and you know, develop it from there. Let the Holy Spirit work with you. You know, this isn't in the Bible, but it's my conviction that when God chose Abraham, He was also looking all over the world in all countries, and He continues to do that. He's always looking for people who will be faithful. And whoever says yes to him, he chooses that person or that nation or that people. Mm -hmm. Anybody who will say yes. And then he works with them as long as he possibly can. And he only, um, he never stops. We stop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's working right now in many countries in the world in silent, mysterious, wonderful ways and bringing people who don't know the name of Jesus to him, to a knowledge of himself. Mm-hmm. He's bringing them that we have into relationship. That you know, as an organization, say as the Adventist Church or as the Baptist Church or whatever, you know, we can as a group do more in a collective way, especially with institutions like you know, medical things, educational things, uh, even. Well, like ADRA, for instance, you know, developmental type things, you know, Mm -hmm. communities. But if we just get satisfied with, you know, that point, 
that we have reached. You know, we plateau. You know, I don't think God ever really wants us to plateau. I think he wants us mm-hmm. to keep going up, you know. Yeah, um, he doesn't want us to dig in and build our fences. Right. I, I think we also need to change. We, the Bible teaches don't store your treasures here on earth. Mm-hmm. We get so rooted in, in materialism, what this world has to offer, and we don't want to change. We don't want to believe what you might have to say because that may we may be convicted and we may have to change our traditions, our way of living, and that's hard to do when mm-hmm. you're used to doing it your way or say I have to give up, you know, like... Sometimes Tim says cheese or <laughs> give up something that we are used to doing all the time. Yeah. Um, the Holy Spirit is known as the Spirit of Truth. And what was that? Truth and love. Yes, truth and love. Um, why would that help us? As we're studying God's word. Why are we told that we need that? Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. I think internally, imagine you have, well, you have binoculars and you're looking at something. And you're seeing something. Mm -hmm. But I I look at the Holy Spirit as focusing your binoculars on the correct thing that's that's in front of you. Without that, you wouldn't see that particular item. It would be out of focus, so to speak, in your life. And I look at the Holy Spirit as correctly focusing your view of the Bible, what you hear, what you see, what Mm -hmm. goes on around you, giving you God's insights, His perceptions, and so on, that you wouldn't ordinarily see. They'd be right in front of you, but they'd be blurry. And He he helps you to pay attention to the right things. Would you say... Which would you say comes first, revival or reformation? Revival. Revival. Why? That's the new life we get from Jesus. Mm-hmm. Revive. Yeah. Means life. Mm-hmm. And if you had somebody who died, they'd have to be revived before they could live. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good point. Thank you. (laughs) So if Reformation is an outgrowth of revival, and revival is the result of a growing relationship with with Jesus, then is it likely that the prophets would call for Reformation? Is it likely? Is it likely? They would call for revival. And I point that out um, because the title of each lesson this week troubled me slightly. Um, If we look at Sunday's lesson... Um, it's titled The Prophet's Appeal for Reformation. Um, starts out with the sentence, God often sent his prophets to lead Israel into revival. Okay. Why would he have to lead them into revival? Well, they were dead to God, in essence. All right, sorry, I'm sorry, there were two at once. Change requires awareness. Okay. I was just saying they were dead to God. They had, they had chosen to leave Him and weren't listening anymore, and mm-hmm. had done their own thing. Okay, so so they in effect had abandoned the relationship. Sure. Um, okay. Let's look at the second paragraph. Um, does anybody want to read that? It starts with revival and reformation. Revival and Reformation occurred in the Old Testament when there was a renewed heart commitment to obey God's will. When Israel turned to its own way and everyone did what was right in his own eyes, God withdrew his blessing and the nation faced disaster and defeat. Okay. Now, my question here is, is a renewed commitment to obey God's will all that is needed for revival and reformation? No. No. What happened shortly after the Israelites left Egypt and promised to obey all that God had said? For an example. Um, think about the mountain. Built an idol out of gold. Yeah. 
They built an idol and worshipped it. The promises we make. Yeah, sure. Yeah. To ourselves, our New Year's resolutions and other promises that we make, and we're going to do this, and yeah, we're going to do that, and then we do it for a short period. Our gym membership, like <laughs> months, and then well, kind of peters out, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. We make those kind of promises all the time, spiritual and non-spiritual. We do, we do. Um, it's, like, it's like we're told our own our own promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. <laughs> I like that statement. Yes. Yeah, it's not very reliable. And they claimed it was because the man who connected them to God had disappeared. Mm-hmm. When they yeah. had connections themselves. Right. Absolutely. Um, so let's look at the story that they're referencing. Um, we're not going to read it all. It's about 20 verses. Second um, Chronicles 20, 1 through 20. To sum it up, the first part of it here, there were three neighboring countries that banded together to make war on Jehoshaphat and, and Judah. When, he, when Jehoshaphat hears of this, the first thing he does is proclaim a fast. What is the purpose of fasting? Clearing your head. So For what reason? So you can hear, understand, and, and take in something more, more easily and clearly. You're not, you know, your blood, your circulation is good. Right. You're actually thinking clearly. Okay. But thinking clearly for what purpose? Um, would you say that that the purpose um, is reform oriented or relationship oriented? Relationship. Relationship. The second thing Jehoshaphat did was pray. What's the purpose of prayer? Connection. Connection to God. So would that be reform oriented or relationship oriented? It's relationship. At the end of his prayer, Jehoshaphat says, We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And all of Judah was there with him before the Lord. Does that sound like a call to reformation or a call to relationship? Relationship. Relationship. That's what it's all about. We miss it, just like the Pharisees did, if we miss that. Um, now let's look at Monday's lesson. Titled, Paul's Appeal for Reformation in Corinth. The first two sentences. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul expresses great concern regarding their spiritual condition. Members had drifted from God's ideal. What was God's ideal? Relationship. Relationship. Yeah. And they had drifted away from it. Were their actions the problem? Or were they the symptom? Symptom. They were the symptom. So the lesson suggests that we should look for Paul's appeal for reformation in certain verses. Um, somebody look up 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Someone else grab uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. And uh, someone else look up 1 Corinthians 13. And the last one, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 2. And see, the first one was First Corinthians six nineteen to twenty. Who has that? Anyone? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Okay. Does that sound like an appeal for reformation? No. What is it? It's relationship. Um, how does the reminder that we are designed to be God's temple or affect what we do? How does that affect the relationship? It just reminds us that he wants to be that close to us. Mm-hmm. He wants to be right with us. I mean, that's why he made his tabernacle on the earth, so he could be right with us. You know, And if he wants... If he calls us his temple, then that makes it even more personal. Mm-hmm. You know, personal. Yeah. Emmanuel, God with us. If, if we keep our bodies healthy, we're more likely to be able to communicate with him rather than worrying about our health. That's a very good point. Thank you. And have a clear mind when we read or study. Yes, and we can have a clear mind when we read or study. 
Right? Does anybody have 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27? Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. How far? Uh, 27. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Mm-hmm. Does that, what, what's the prize that Paul is talking about here that we're running the race for? Eternal relationship with God. Eternal relationship with God. So is that uh, an appeal for reformation? Or is it an appeal for relationship? Relationship. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. We're all very familiar with that. I'm not going to ask you to read the whole thing. Just uh, have it in front of you. Um, the lesson specifically references the last verse that says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Is that a call for reform? No. It's a call for relationship. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-2. to Now I want to remind you, my brothers and sisters, of the good news which I preached to you, which you received, and on which your faith stands firm. That is the gospel, the message that I preach to you. You are saved by the gospel if you hold firmly to it, unless it has nothing, unless it was for nothing that you believed. Mm-hmm. What was the gospel he preached to, to them? The gospel of love. God is love. God is love. Um, and God is love shown where? I mean, he, he specified it, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. Um, I proclaim to you the, protest, the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So what is this testimony about God? You said it, right? His character of love. What do we learn when we focused on Christ? That he does have our best interest at heart after all. Mm-hmm. There's no other shoe to drop. There's no other what? No other shoe to drop, you know. <laughs> well, things are going pretty good, but any minute now. Right. going to do something to me that's bad. <laughs> Does it sound like Paul was preaching a gospel of reformation? Telling them to suck it up and do better? No. He was pointing them to Jesus. Um, let's look at the last few sentences on Monday's lesson. Um which actually, I have to say, we're well said. Somebody want to read that? It starts with um, the Holy Spirit, so it's in the middle of the, the last paragraph. The Holy Spirit brought. The Holy Spirit brought the Corinthians spiritual renewal. This revival brought a corresponding reformation. Reformation led to changed habits, changed lives, and changed relationships. The Corinthians still faced spiritual challenges. They had their share of trials, but they made significant advances in their Christian faith. Revival and Reformation are not some... Thank you, Manassian, to solve all of our spiritual problems. They're a part of an ongoing faith journey. Amen. Very well said. Why are Revival and Reformation, as they said, part of an ongoing faith journey always room to grow always room to grow yeah um you know we talked about it before um you know what happens to a relationship if you stop talking what happens to a plant if you stop fertilizing it watering it giving it air sunshine light if, mm-hmm. you, if you came to that plant expecting more fruit every time where, you know, you would not get the fruit you expect because you never gave it the watering and the things it needed to survive. So there's no fruit that comes from that. Right. Right. Um, with that in mind, let's look at Tuesday's lesson. 
also titled An Appeal for Reformation, this time Revelation's Appeal for Reformation in Ephesus. Um, and I'll go ahead and read. It's Revelations 2, 1 through 5 for those who want to follow. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So these are whose words? Christ. Christ. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Are those good things? Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So these aren't ungodly people, right? They're a church. Lots of good actions. What are they missing? They're missing the relationship. Why would God say he would remove their lampstand from its place? Yeah, there's no more light. Um, in that time, what lit the lamp? Oil. Which represents Holy the Holy Spirit. And the, what does the Holy Spirit do? <coughs> Not a trick question. <laughs> huh? Connects us to God. And gives it to us. Exactly. The insights he has, the abilities he has. We could do anything Jesus did on earth if we did what Jesus did on earth, which was to allow the Holy Spirit to direct his life and day. Every day. Exactly. So, what are some of the practical things that we can do? To ignite the relationship. What do we do? We've already mentioned some, but let's get more specific. Well, I think the first thing we can do is open that door and invite God in. Open the door. Yes. And then study what his character is really like through the lens of Jesus. Amen. Yes. Any others? Warm up to God and multiply the time we spend with him. What was the first part of that? Warm up to God. Warm up to God? Mm Mm-hmm. I actually, I I like that phrase. Um, I I heard a story of uh, uh, Morris Venden, um, who was told one day after church that his sermons would be better. He said it was a good sermon. It would be better if you knew God. Yeah. Um, And so he started a search to find out what he needed to do to get to know God. He was a pastor at the time, having gone through Adventist schools, seminary, had been a pastor for a a little while at least, and yet he was told this. Um, He studied um, Steps to Christ. And he found, first he studied it and, and underlined everything he thought he needed to do. Nothing changed. Then he studied it with a different focus, um, with the focus on Christ. And he found that the, the advice was that you needed to do three things. You needed to pray with the intention of getting to know Jesus. You need to study the Bible with the intention of getting to know Jesus. And you needed to share what he found. Um, so he started doing that, and uh, according to the sermon that I watched, which was by his son, he said that he started out doing that, and the Bible was boring, boring, boring. Um, but he followed you know, what he had found, prayer for the purpose of getting to know Jesus, studying for the purpose of getting to know Jesus. And he started doing that every day, and after a little while, it became boring, boring. And then after that, it became just boring. And then after that, it became something he couldn't put down. Um, so I like the phrase, warm up with Jesus. Um, and it happens, um, we 
quoted something earlier. It happens when Jesus is lifted up. Um, in John 3, um, I am forgetting now the actual, it's not 16, it's earlier. In his discussion with Nicodemus, Jesus said, um, first he told him he must be born again. And Nicodemus was surprised and said, how do I do that? And Jesus mentioned that it's by the Holy Spirit. And Nicodemus is again, I don't understand. And Jesus says, um, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. And here, here it is. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Um, if we do um, what Morris Venda discovered, everything for the sake of the relationship, reformation happens. Um, just one really quick, skipping way ahead to <laughs> skipping Martin Luther. That's all in the notes. You can read it. Um, <laughs> on Thursday's lesson, first paragraph, it says, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is a reform movement. Do you think that's currently true? It could be, if we're focusing on reform. Should our church be a reform movement? Absolutely not. What should we be? Revival. It should be all about the relationship. Um, if we focus on the wrong thing, we get into the wrong location. Um, focus on the wrong prize, we run the wrong race. Um, I found this quote. And I'll end with this. Um, Christian service, page 121. It's not in the notes yet, but it will be. Um, when churches are revived, it is because some individual seeks earnestly for the blessing of God. He or she hungers and thirsts after God and asks in faith and receives accordingly. He goes to work in earnest, feeling his great dependence upon the Lord, and souls are aroused to seek for a like blessing, and a season of refreshing falls on the hearts of men. So according to this, how many does it take to start a revival? Just one. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word that reveals Christ to us. We ask you, Lord, to put Christ in our hearts um, by the Holy Spirit, to open our minds and our hearts to your truth, that we might get to know you daily. And let each one of us be the one that starts a revival. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.